Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Every single financial institution is adopting and adjusting to compete with the new realities in an ever-changing digital world. It is time to reimagine how applications are delivered, how data is leveraged, and how to create immersive experiences to meet the needs of today's customers. The right strategy is to shift to a hybrid environment that leverages the key resources already in place, but combines those resources with one or more solution providers to create an even more robust network that is future ready. We are fortunate to have Rosie Oman, Managing Director of Financial Services at Lumen Technologies on the Banking Transform podcast. He discusses how a platform mindset enables the best execution strategy for delivering financial services now and into the future. A hybrid approach to digital banking transformation can enable incremental changes to roll out as they're ready. Customers may not feel that too much is changing at once, allowing experiences to improve without disruption. In other words, what we should usually be trying to do is do incremental changes that do not disrupt as much as they just improve. So, Roji, can you provide a brief overview of your role at Lumen as well as how Lumen works with financial institutions to improve the process of digital transformation? Sure, Jim. Uh, th- thanks for the time. So I am practice lead for financial services at Lumen. Uh, we are a global telecommunications and infrastructure company. And my job is to take uh, sort of our broad capabilities and position them for the needs of our customers in banking, uh, capital markets, and insurance. Um, so your, your question's an, uh, an interesting one. So, you, you know, we were talking about ChatGPT earlier. One of the, the things that I think technologists and business people are, are facing is that the adoption rate of modern technologies have skyrocketed. I'm sure you've seen the adoption curve on electricity to cloud. And, you know, in ChatGPT3, it, it, it just felt like it was released like three weeks ago and now everybody's using it. So the, the challenge that everyone's dealing with is tools are becoming available faster than we can figure out how to you know, go implement them to go solve very, very specific business problems. I think our proposition is if you take your technology infrastructure, right, the plumbing that enables you to go do all that stuff and you design it in a way that allows you to be flexible, you can incorporate these things and layer it on on, on top of that baseline infrastructure and then experiment, right? And I think that experimentation to see, well, what does it mean to deliver a good user experience to, you know, using this particular tool? Does it actually work the way that I think it does? Do customers react with it in a way that furthers my business objective? And I think that that incremental release, you know, being humble in what you know and what you don't, measuring user response back, and then layering it out over time, we think is sort of the, the right answer. So a lot of our solutions are built on enabling technologists in financial services, right, which is a regulated industry, they tend to be risk averse for really good reasons. And, you know, people honestly are touchy about things that touch financial services. So here's how you roll them out, uh, experiment to see what makes sense. And if it doesn't work, you can bring it back. If it does work, you can accelerate. You know, it's interesting you should bring that up. As people that listen to the podcast or read my writings will know, I was fortunate enough to visit uh, WeBank in uh, Shenzhen, China at the beginning of 2020, at the beginning of the COVID crisis. And what was so interesting about that organization is, number one, they went from ideation to implementation in 14 days. 
But I think what was even more amazing was that you can see on their data screen of everything that's going on in the background, they were running four parallel cloud platforms. Two of them were customer bases and actually the real database that they're running. The other two were test platforms that had the same data on it, but they're able to test different solutions, different product ideas, different things, and and in a way that they say it's either working or not working, and they weren't afraid to turn it on a little bit early or turn it off a little bit early, you know, which which is really outside the normal thought process of traditional bank in the U.S., which is we don't want to take any risk as opposed to, you know, limited risk or calculated risk. So when you talk about what Lumen does, what sets your solution apart from the others in the marketplace? Yeah, so uh, I, I love the story of, uh, of WeBank and your, your model of sort of calculated limited risk and then you learn from it. So what we do, uh, we operate one of the world's largest internet backbones, we carry a significant percentage of global internet traffic. And you know, we think in the end, financial services and banking is a connection-oriented business, right? It connects lenders and borrowers, buyers and sellers. So we deploy the global infrastructure that essentially makes the internet function. And what we enable banks to do is say, rather, you know, in the old days, you have to build all this stuff yourself, right? And the reason sometimes I think banks appear reticent to adopt new technology is that the technology infrastructure footprint they have, they built over time um, slowly. And they had to, you know, it was an artisanal business, right? IT was an artisanal business. They spent a tremendous amount of time doing it. The industry has changed and it's become fairly industrialized. And there are components of your technology stack like cloud that you can just go adopt wholesale from AWS or Azure and then just go run, right? And it's, it enables you to be more agile, it enables you to be significantly more cost effective. And then most importantly, it allows you to innovate because you're borrowing things from other people. And you can assemble these things together really, really effectively. What Lumen allows you to do is to say, well, you know, Jim, you were talking about the three cloud platforms that uh, WeBank has. What we allow you to do is say, we'll give you a network and infrastructure footprint that says, hey, if I want to use Azure's cognitive compute, perfect, I can just plug it in and it just works. If I want to use Google's TensorFlow to do, you know, maybe location-based analytics, I can plug that in and it seamlessly works. So we allow you to be sort of cloud agnostic, but connected to to all of the, uh, you know, the the, the the key access points that that you need to. And then we allow you to do so in a very, very cost-effective way, which enables you, we think, to experiment and go try things without like building a, a massive business case uh, uh, from the ground up in the beginning. So obviously, Lumen doesn't just work with the banking industry. It works with many industries. When you look at banking, the banking industry today, where do you see the industry as far as your digital transformation process? How far has the industry come and how far does it still have to go? Obviously, we're not talking about a, a static point in time. So we're talking about gaps. You know, how big is the gap from where we should be and how are we doing going forward? Yeah, you know, it, it, what's been remarkable about this is the past two and a half years of COVID have accelerated everything. And I would have given you a different answer probably three years ago. Oh, but definitely. now, you know, yeah, bank digital platforms are actually pretty sophisticated. Most, you know, you know, within the top couple of tiers of banking institutions, I think they're all world class. They're really flexible architectures. They've become much more user friendly. And, and most importantly, I think the demographics of the user population, which has adopted digital, has changed, right? Everyone has become comfortable with video conferencing, about using apps to go do things. So all of that has, has, has changed for, uh, for the better. 
where we think there is an interesting opportunity is in the physical footprint and presence, right? There's 27,000 some odd bank branches in the United States. Um, the bank branches per capita in the U.S. we think is about 2x our OEDC peer group, right? So there's, you know, the optimal number of branches is probably somewhat less. The difference is, you know, there are 5,000 banking institutions in the United States. And if the predominant means of customer access is digital, there just isn't room in the market for all of those banks, right? right. It, it, in right. most digital markets, it's going to be winner take all. Maybe there's room for three, four or five, certainly not for thousands. And we think there's an opportunity for small and mid-sized banks to figure out how do I use the branch, which is the only tangible brand experience a customer will have with me in order to create stickier and, and better relationships. And that is something that we have seen in retail and hospitality. Um, and, you know, and part of it is honestly is, is being humble, right? Customer behaviors have changed forever coming out of COVID. And we're not sure which of those are permanent. We're not sure which of those are actionable or desirable. So, you know, being able to go in and invest and, and experiment and see what works and double down on it, we think is uh, an interesting opportunity where, where banks can learn from other industries. Well, actually, you have a white paper, if I'm not mistaken, that talks about what banking can learn from the retail industry, where you talk about the branch, you talk about experience, you talk about the integration of the human and digital aspect of customer experience. And I think that's interesting because it, it as you mentioned, you know, we, we have too many branches. We have many people that are right now underemployed, but have extraordinary talents when it re, when we're talking about the ability to interact with customers, be empathetic, the things that we really want right. our relationships to be, but they don't see nearly as many people anymore. So is this an opportunity or is this an area where we have to be looking at the democratization of data where and insights where we actually don't compartmentalize these data and insight components within a, the IT or the an analytic department, but really spread it across the organization so that the product areas can do better. So even the branch people maybe can interact with customers using the technology and the data and insights that we have to do outbound engagement on a customer level. Oh, absolutely. I love, uh, I, I, I love the premise of the question, right? So Historically, I think bank IT departments would go to the business and say, if you can describe to me in exquisite detail what you want, I am happy to go build it for you and then give you the budget, right? Yep. And you know, the response from the business is typically, well, at this point in time, coming out of COVID, plus all the, uh, the adoption curves for all these technologies, I actually don't know what I want yet, right? And, and, and we need to go experiment. So one of the things that we talked about is banks have these really sophisticated telemetry, right? They capture lots of data about users on their digital platform. All of that ends when a user walks into a branch, right? So why does a customer go to a branch? One, you know, it's, it's to go open an account and they're required to, by KYC regulations, make a deposit or because they have a problem and they, don't, and they feel they get a better answer in person than they would, you know, via calling somebody or online. If you can turn that experience into something positive, that builds long-term customer value, right? So the technology exists for you to know when a customer enters the branch, you can identify them individually using all the cameras. You can actually, you know, understand who they are. You can greet them as an individual. And then using tools like GPT-3 or, or large language models, you can give your teller or your, your banking professional a script, right? That Sally was on the student loan section of the website last night and she's here. You know, maybe there was an issue and you can greet the customer by, by name and then create an experience that turns something that may have been negative into something positive. And we think those kind of 
brand experiences, you know, our, our counterparts in retail tell us that that's what builds long-term brand value. So that all of that technology that I described actually exists, right? It's not hugely expensive to go deploy. It's just a question of uh, implementing it and then adopting the cultural shift within IT to turn from, hey, I protect the bank against regulatory oversight and they make sure that stuff breaks, but I'm not necessarily leaning forward to give ideas and to partner with the business on how to innovate. You know, it's interesting. Your concept here is that it really depends on value exchange. And two examples, one is Amazon, which is the obvious go-to. It says, why are people paying $130 a year for an interaction that basically you can't even define what you get for that $130 except comfort level and the fact that on an ongoing basis, you know you, they're using their your data to make your buying experience better. The other example is a little more, you know, you got to think back a little bit, but with Disney, and the uh, family bands, the bands that were ID yeah. that, that actually identify who you are as you're going through the park and give you ideas of what you should go to, what you should visit, how long the lines are. But at the beginning of them, it also helped to define at every age category, every structure of family, what's the route the family's taking? Where, where are they going to first? Where do they go to last? How long do they stay in the park? Even to the degree where talking characters would address your child by name. Now, that's one of those interesting dynamics where it says, where's the balance between scary and helpful? Right. But Disney knows better than anybody. I'm going to continue to drive better value from that experience, that engagement, thereby you allowing me to take those liberties. And it's funny because at the beginning of this, I talked to a Disney official way back and he said, you know, it was terrible for the parents to see the character address their child by name until the child looked at the parents with the awestruck look that said, oh my God, I'll never forget this. You know, uh, Snow White recognized me. And all of a sudden the parents are going, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't even care about privacy right now. My child's happy, which is all you want at Disney World. You know, it's interesting when we're looking at this, the opportunities are massive. The ability to leverage technology, data, analytics for better experience and more importantly, better engagement is enormous. But there's stumbling blocks. You know, what we can do and we what we do do in the financial services industry are sometimes there's that big gap. What are the stumbling blocks that you see as you're going on the road meeting with financial institutions that financial institutions are facing right now as they're trying to find new and better ways to address a customer's needs? What 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 are the biggest things that you know immediately, geez, this is this is a problem we have. Yeah, I, so uh, I, I, the Disney example and the Amazon example are, are really good ones. And I, you know, I always think like I have a bank account with a bank because when I was in college, they gave me a free T-shirt and a frisbee, and I have kept them other since. And historically, there has been a lot of friction with moving these 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 banking relationships from one institution to another, so people didn't do that. As we are seeing today, live with like deposit flight, you know, the the fact that people got comfortable with digital means it's a lot easier to to, to move stuff. So that the long-term brand affinity that you have with customers becomes increasingly important. And it's sticky things like, you know, maybe it is greeting by name and you've, we've got to balance the creepy factor, but being willing to experience uh, to experiment and then finding the right link for your brand. Like maybe it's creepy if JP Morgan or Wells Fargo does it, it's probably less creepy if it's a community bank or a credit union that you already have a brand affinity with. So figuring that out uh, matters. Now in, in terms of obstacles to technology adoption, I think the, the two big ones that we see is uh, IT historically has been focused on operational stability, 
and just running the shop rather than innovation. And that means that culturally, internally, budgets are hard to get, right? No one wants to go spend uh, a bunch of money going deploying a new experience at the branch when you're not quite sure what the outcome is, right? Because you don't know how users are going to behave yet. You're not sure what the business value is. Um, the, the, the second big one is that, you know, just the, the IT in general at branches tends to be fairly creaky. A lot of it was, uh, you know, deployed, you know, the big wave of investment was probably, you know, right around, uh, you know, 2000 and they have upgraded and maintained it, but they haven't really enabled it right to be software driven. So the, the two opportunities we see are, you know, by taking all of those creaky bits of technology and running them as software, cloudifying them, if you would you gain a lot of efficiencies through automation, right? Because it's easier to manage software than physical bits, right? You need to send less people to go visit, to go fix things. So by by making it operationally simple, you can save enough money to then go justify investments in technology that give you flexibility. But it, it, that, that, that cultural shift, Jim, I think is probably the single biggest obstacle that we, uh, that we see. It's interesting. We, we often talk about the fact that um, you can invest all you want technology, but if the management team, if the leadership continues to do things that they've done in the past, you've basically wasted your money. Um, you know, the back office has to support the front office, but in much the same way that you just referenced, you know, you, you, you need the ability to have a future view of what you need to do and then deploy against it. Um, we need to move from saving money and the efficiency thing to actually making money through engagement. And, and I've defined many times the difference between experience, which I consider just a form of satisfaction and engagement. How do we build that back and forth? How do we build that? that level of interaction that we have with an Amazon, which is transactional, but it's still very engaging. You know, the other challenge, as you mentioned, you know, while you have not moved your account, your relationship is diversified. And I think financial institutions continue to look at old metrics, which is what percentage of our customers have left versus the ones we've kept. That does not give you any indication as to how strong your relationships are anymore. I still have my Wells Fargo account, but I also have Robinhood. I have Acorns. I have SoFi. And, right. and that's not indicated as part of that overall relationship build. In addition, the biggest concern, and you've referenced it a little bit already, is that while my financial institution knows me, they don't show that they know me enough. And in other words, you know, if you don't show me on a daily basis that you understand my needs, that you're going to be on top of things on my behalf and show empathy, you don't have much of a relationship with me. You're simply a transaction-oriented organization that, that you, you carry my balances, not much more. Um, when you're working with financial institutions and you're walking in the door, what part of Lumen's offering are you talking to most customers about what? Because most customers right now aren't, you know, saying, "Oh, I want to convert my entire my entire core." So they're not doing that. They're looking at compartmentalizing that. How do they compartmentalize what Lumen offers, and you get traction? What what are what are your customers or your prospects saying yes to right now? Yeah. I, so the the biggest sort of entry point for us, I think, where you know, where there's, where there isn't necessarily a barrier to, to entry is cloud adoption, right? Every bank in the world wants to start adopting cloud technologies. You know, for some of the Durban exempt organizations, it was because they wanted to go partner with fintechs, right? And become sort of a mm -hmm. wholesale provider to, to fintechology providers, which required them to put sort of a software layer on top of the core 
that enable them maybe to look at data in a more rich way than they had previously. So often it is about, I need to get access to cloud. I need to figure out a way to get my data, which you know my InfoSec teams have all sorts of restrictions on. How do I go in, insert that into a, a cloud or a data provider? And then how do I mine that for insights? And then once you begin doing that and you start building sort of those correlations, like the 360 degree view of the customer that you were talking about, you know, a lot of this data exists within financial institutions today. They're just not linked in the right way, right? right. So once you extract it out of the silo and then begin to get used uh, and, and then begin to, to, to gather sort of, here's the actionable business insight, then the, okay, now here's how we go make that thing happen, right? Do we go, is it a, an upsell, cross-sell digitally? Is it uh, you know a, a phone call or is it something that we do physically when the customer's at the bank and then you can go engineer those things? But generally, I think there's been a huge amount of interest in you know the the cloud transformation and how do I go take advantage of that versus you know building that internally. So that's been a huge entry point for us. Uh, the second big one has been around security. Like if you go you know to, to to banks today, they're consuming a lot more external software than they have on the past in the past. Um, employees used to work in glass buildings, right? In, in city centers. Now there are, you know, tons of them are at home. Uh, and as as software and, and IT infrastructure has stopped being physical things, right? It's no longer just a box that I plug in. It's virtual, right? Uh, the surface area of things that the security team is responsible for grows, you know, often exponentially, right? There's just many, many more things that I need to protect. And my budget is not growing exponentially. So, uh, for us to say, well, you can use software and automated tools to go secure your perimeter better and get data into and out of cloud so you can make use of the data is often, you know, the the the, the simplest entry point. And we like that because it enables, uh, you know, the, the business to, to sort of define, you know, if I, you know, here's an insight that I think I can potentially action. Now, in order to action it, I need to go deploy this sensor or this, uh, you know, VDI or terminal instance, you know, at, at the branch and then go build the case that way. So Lumen actually is somewhat the bridge and also the glue to make these things work in the in the best possible way, correct? Because you're connecting to, as you mentioned earlier, different cloud providers, and you're also connecting to different service and fintech companies, but you basically provide the secure environment to do so and also the bridge to these different technologies, correct? That's exactly right. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we build the data highway between, you know, the, the bank's data centers, the bank's offices and branches, and to any external provider that you, we connect all the data centers together, of course, but then all the external providers, all the cloud providers, all of the SaaS and software providers in capital markets to your counterparties and to your, to your trading partners, et cetera. And then we want to make sure that that highway right? It, you know, telecommunications and networks used to be like railroads, right? It's a capital intense process. I connect it from point A to point B. It takes an enormous amount of time. And then when it's, once it's up and running, it, it runs forever, right? So what does that look like in an age of Uber where you don't necessarily know where the data is going to flow? And maybe I'm using a SA one SaaS provider today and I want to switch for another one tomorrow. So we've been investing a great deal of time in turning the network and making it more cloud-like where you can make an API call and your software can define, hey, I want to go connect to this endpoint. I want to send this record or this thing. And then here's a record of the fact that it happened and why it happened, right, for compliance purposes and make it all software defined. And we think that that gives the bank's developers a great deal of flexibility 
and allows them to experiment with new tools and, and, and go build things. So our, our focus has been on, you know, making the network a, a seamless way for you to get to, you know, whether it's business partners, counterparties or service providers uh, securely and effortlessly. You know, it's interesting because when I go around and talk to different financial institutions, one of the biggest problems they have is they have no time. They've got to find partners that can actually turn things on and, and they can they can do it and forget it. Um, you're probably you're really working as a, a firm that can be there to say, we're going to make this so you don't have problems along the way. You're, you're going to, as, again, the, the bridge, you're you're enabling a, a person or a part of an organization to work more efficiently and not have to pay attention to all the different components to make it work the way it should with their different partners they're setting up, which are becoming great and great every day. And you referenced it earlier. This provides both speed and scalability. And and I was just at the uh, FinTech meetup conference in Las Vegas. And one of the themes that continued to be high to, in the industry was that even the smallest organizations now, because of banking with as a service and what they're trying to do outside of their traditional physical markets, is to make sure they have scalability. You don't want to set up a partnership that can't be carried through because of the fact that you're, you're growing fast. You provide that capability, don't you? You enable, you enable that. Yeah, yeah, we do. And our, you know, so part of technology is riding waves that are occurring within the industry anyway, right? And if you catch the right wave, you are riding an advantage of scale. So what we've been fortunate with is, you know, think of things like, uh, you know, streaming video and, uh, you know, social media it, it, technology companies, they have been building out massive amounts of infrastructure at the boundaries of the network, right? To go make the, the you know, when you, when you log into Disney Plus or uh, when you view something on TikTok, the, to make that experience really good, they've been investing in building infrastructure out at the edge. Uh, what we allow uh, financial institutions to do is to leverage that, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of capital investment over the years. You can let, you can borrow the scale that those guys are deploying and we just put a software layer on top of it, so we operate it in, in, in you know, in, in the means that you would expect from an FFIEC regulated institution, right? So you're you're riding a wave of investment that already occurs. You automatically gain the benefits of scale, and because it's pre-built, there aren't long, complicated lead times, right? You just could log into a portal or you call up an API, you ask for you know 10 gigs of bandwidth to AWS, and it shows up instantaneously within minutes. You use it for as long as you want to use it, and then it just goes away, right, when you don't need it. So that sort of elastic model of usage, we think, makes IT budgets significantly more flexible and hopefully enables the business to innovate. So when you're reaching out to different financials, different size of organizations, what types of data can financial institutions today reasonably collect? Because basically the winners in any of the industry is going to be those that know the most about their customers and their prospects. And then above and beyond what types of data can they collect, how can they leverage the data so they can actually transform the experience? So, Jim, I, I, as you said before, before, most institutions already have access to a tremendous wealth of data uh, digitally, right? So, you know, there's location-based data based on your IP address. So they, they have a rough idea of where you live, which infers things about your, uh, your your financial assets and income, your home values. 
They are collecting a tremendous amount of data on, you know, uh, again, digitally about your, your social network and your social graph. So a lot of that data already exists. There's a tremendous wealth of transaction data that, that banks have. The challenge is, uh, as you said earlier, is a lot of this exists within silos across different business units. And tying that together into a 360-degree view of the customer is, is, is tough unless this is something that you've been focused on. So uh, a lot of that data already exists. It's just a question of organizing it in the right way and then tying it into a customer and then being able to you know, take limited risk, as you said, in figuring out, right, is, you know, what's the, you know, for, for long-term customer value, you want to be less transactional and more advisory, right? So, you know, I am a different banking consumer when I was in college than I am now. And, and making sure that the bank's relationship with me has evolved as I have, right? Because all of the information about me is publicly available now. And as you said, consumers never choose privacy when, when given a choice. And if you look at my kids' social media habits, they, you know, they, they, they make no bones about putting everything out there, right? So right. there's a wealth of information that's available. Uh, we think an area where they're probably not collecting as much is around physical and location data as well. There's a tremendous rich data set of uh, you know, location data. So you can identify customers by name when they enter, uh, a, you know, a premises, you have, you have an idea, you know, you're no longer relying on survey information to figure out why customers are at a specific place and where they're locating the, the data is accessible uh, in, in near real time. And being able to use that is, uh, is a competitive differentiator. You know, we did a bunch of work during, uh, you know, COVID when, you know, there's a big thing about mask wearing using machine vision at a construction site to detect whether people were wearing masks or not. And machine vision algorithms have gotten unbelievably sophisticated over the past couple of years because of things like that. So even, you know, sort of the, the old security cameras within banks have, you know, you, you can use that with other things to build uh, identity verification techniques. So there's a whole bunch of sort of location-based data where you can take the bank's rich digital platform which they already have and they've invested an enormous amount of money in and then tie that into physical places as well, which is what, you know, in your example, that's what Disney and, and, and some of the leaders in the right. hospitality space have managed to do well. It's interesting you bring that up because Chase has just announced that they're going to be testing, you know, facial and, and palm reading as part of the payments process where you no longer need a phone or need a card or any of the traditional ways of having to pay. But when you look at the the deep down capabilities that that all brings to the table. I think you bring up a very good point that, you know, it's the difference in the experience between me going to my traditional bank and trying to open an account today and my experience when I open an Apple Card account. Apple Card started off providing all the data they were able to collect on who I was up front and saying, validate if this is right. Now, every financial institution can do that. That's not something that was uh, simply the ability for Apple to do it. It's out there in different ways. Secondly, as you brought up, when they asked for my last four digits of my my government ID, my social security number, or they asked for my income, it's basically just a way to revalidate that I'm me. But as they're doing that, they're also saying, who, where is this person using this phone? And is this Jim Roos? All that gives you the know your customer without needing you to input any data, without needing you to show a, a, a driver's license or some an archaic way. You know, I, I mentioned the, the drawers behind you reminding me of signature card boxes. And, and the reality is 
The banking industry continues to be stuck in the mud when it comes to new digital solutions to answer the questions that they've always had to answer. We didn't get out of the signature cards until the government said, by the way, we never said you had to have signature cards. We just said you had to know your customer. That's the same thing. We've got to get out of the legacy ways of doing things. As we're looking at this, and you go in to see financial institutions, I'm, I'm going into your sales process again because I'm a salesperson at heart. And when a financial institution learns about what Lumen can do, what gets in the way of them saying, yes, move forward when you show all the advantages you've mentioned to me today? What, what stands in their way if you were to take one or two reasons? I think the, the, the biggest one I, I would say, and we've talked about this a little bit, is it depends on the buyer, right? So historically, technology is bought by IT, who, you know, for all kinds of reasons, historically has been, you know, an operational expense line for the bank, right? And they tend to view things within, you know, does this reduce cost of stuff that I do today, right? And, you know, there are workflows that, w- that exist within the bank that have existed that way, maybe because of regulation or for historical reasons, and they're looking for ways to reduce the cost of that workflow, right? Generally, right? Make sure that it doesn't fail and then keep the cost low. And, you know, if you go to them and say, well, you know, facial recognition at the branch may be a way to differentiate customer experience. And they say, well, you know what? That isn't one of the workflows that I am responsible for. So this sounds very interesting, but thank you very much, right? I think when you go talk to the business though, it's quite different, right? Because they're not, they're thinking or they're tasked to think, does that workflow need to exist? Am I solving for the problem the customer actually has? Or am I just solving for sort of a, a way I interpret regulations internally within the bank, right? So the, the business buyers generally are much more open to, um, you know, going and deploying this. The second obstacle is, you know, just, just to be, you know, d- d- straightforward, the bank doesn't know how long am I going to maintain this branch presence? Is this worth investing a bunch of money in to go differentiate, you know, at the physical layer. So part of what we do there is to say, you know, we can help you go fund that by reducing the operating cost of what you have today. You know, you had asked the last question was about data. One of the things that has become amazing, you know, with the cloud revolution is that you can improve your IT operations using data. You know, we operate one of the world's largest network. We use machine learning and AI all the time to triage and troubleshoot events that happen, right? And that reduces the impact of outages reduces their frequency and it reduces the amount of money that we spend on managing IT itself, right? So by, by do, you know, our, our, so the, the, the challenge that we, we present our salespeople with is to how do you go talk about improving IT operational efficiency by using some of these things to help reduce the cost and simultaneously go talk to the business about enabling new experiences? We have to solve for sort of both of them simultaneously, if that made sense. Yeah. So as you look in the future, and we don't want to go too far in the future because we're finding out that we're always wrong when we're going more than a few years in the future right now. What's the biggest opportunity in the banking industry from your perspective as you go to visit financial institutions and talk about what Lumen can do? I think, yeah, it is, it, it, it is hard, to, it, it is hard to, to, to predict. But if, you look, if we look at other industries where they're also dealing with like sort of massive secular change, um, you know, you were talking about, you know, the banks who establish, uh, you know, their their next sell cross sell is based on their own sort of product frameworks and internal metrics. What customers are actually after is sort of financial wellness, right? And the relationship that you build with an institution that is looking at like, you know, your transactions and where you spend money 
it can very easily build sort of a, a you know a custom user experience to optimize your finances over time. But very very few banks do it. But you know, coming out of COVID, a lot of the fintech providers were very good at sort of aggregating customer financial information and then putting them on a glide path to you know maybe it's to to you know improve your uh, your savings rate for retirement. Maybe it's here's how you go achieve an objective, and they were able to say you know if you save X more and invest in this return profile or cut costs by Z, and here are the areas where you're spending too much, like those kinds of relationship, banks are the only ones that have all of this data. So I think the ability to go organize that data and present it to customers in a meaningful way, I think is really, really transformative. And if you look, you know, in this day and age, right, with, with the stuff that's going on right now, where there are questions being asked about what is the role of small banks in the United States, like we're unusual economically with the number of uh, smaller banking institutions we yeah. have relative to, to our peers. I think that's an amazing opportunity for community banks, credit unions, and smaller institutions to go build higher value relationships by using data in a way that I think benefits society at large. And you know, the data exists within the banks, the technology frameworks to go do this stuff exist you know, out in the market. I think it's just a question of you know, taking the business risk and, and you know, maybe the evolutionary pressure within the industry is there to go do that today as well. And we think that's, uh, it would be tremendous to see. So finally, to bring it all home, do you work with all size finance institutions or do you have a specific segment that you work with the most? No, we, we were pretty much up the stack. So everywhere, everyone from, you know, sort of the, the, the multi-trillion dollar institutions to uh, much smaller neighborhood and uh, community banks and, and credit unions. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your insights and, and vision into what's going to happen in the future. You know, it, as you said, we, we, we forget because it seems like it was so long ago how much COVID changed the perspective of customers as to what they expect from their finance institution. And it's not just me or you that know what can be done that's not being done. Everyday consumer looks at their interaction with Amazon, with Netflix, with with Apple, with Countrywide Mortgage, whatever it may be, and they question why can't it be done everywhere. And I think that the the key here is for financial institutions to realize they're not competing just with the the financial institutions across the street, but they're competing with the mindset of customers when they use. Open Table or Uber or anything else, and they go, wait, why can you this this firm do it and not my financial institution? So again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Jim. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformer, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a positive review. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, massive change in the way customers are served must reflect a customer's aversion to changing experiences. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. 
You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.